80% of all new restaurants fail within two years. And nearly 80% of those that survive won't achieve more than 5% annual profit. We've all heard these numbers, but I want you to really let them sink in today. Of all the restaurants that open next year, only 20% will survive. And just about 2 or 3% will achieve profit margins greater than 5%. So just to hammer that home, if you average 100 covers a night at $75 a head, that works out to just a little over $2.6 million in revenue over the course of the year. 5% profit is just a little over $130,000 for the year. And that money gets split up between the partners as well as the investors, plus a chunk will get kept in reserve. And remember, that's if you fill 100 seats a night, making $75 a head. How does that make any sense? Our industry has been broken for a long time, and I'm going to challenge all of us to get better. In fact, on today's episode, I'm going to share an article I recently read by Chef Adam Leal and use his words as a jumping off point to talk about what things might look like in the not too distant future. In a cynical world, I choose optimism, but in order to succeed, we have to start by addressing the cold realities. So today's episode is going to be a rant and an anxious, angry, eager, and ultimately optimistic rant but a rant about where we're headed as an industry, don't go anywhere. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. Each week we discuss the tools, tactics, and strategies that will establish you as a leader in your market. I want to help you do more covers and drive more revenue. Each week we choose a topic, we pick that topic apart, we come up with some key insights, and then finish up with an assignment. I always leave you with a short, actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing some of the concepts and ideas that we talk about here on the show. Because as I say week in and week out, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, I am an eternal optimist. I like to believe the best in people, and I don't think any problem is so big that there isn't a solution for it. It's probably how I found my way to marketing, because ultimately that's what marketers do. We solve interesting problems all day long. I've been working in restaurants for the past 20 years. The last six of those, I've focused primarily on how to market restaurants. And my approach is a bit different from the other marketing agencies and consultants out there. Just like I'm always telling you guys, you have to find ways to differentiate yourself from your competitors. I've done the same thing. I've found ways to separate myself from the competition. Not to take away from anything that anyone else is doing out there, but I just believe that my approach is not only the best, but the only path forward, at least for me, which is what you want from a consultant. You want conviction. I have strong opinions, 
and I have put systems in place that I think will have the greatest impact on my clients' businesses. That's what I do week in and week out. I pass those systems, those processes on to you because I think it will have the same effect on you and your business. So I believe that marketing of the thing cannot make up for the thing. You can't craft a mediocre product and then tell people through your marketing that it's something that it's not. If you wanna tell people you're innovating, then you have to weave innovation into what you're doing in the restaurant. You can't just talk about sustainability without practicing what you preach. And the same is true with me and what I preach. I've realized that I can't just come into a restaurant that's subpar and build an email strategy and a social strategy that will magically bring people in the front door. So for me, it begins at the foundational level because if I send an email out to a group of past customers, I wanna know what I'm telling them about. If there's nothing interesting to say, then the communication will be dull as well. The same is true with social media or, or website content. You have to create a product that's interesting that serves a particular audience that solves a specific problem and then tell people about it, right? So your restaurant must have a mission even if that's just something as humble as, we believe the people in this town deserve great subs at a reasonable price. That's fine. Figure out what it is you wanna do, what makes you stand out, and then weave that into the fabric of your business. Then all you have to do is simply tell people about the things you're doing. So when I work with clients these days, I'm not interested in just coming in and working on their communication strategy. I found that what I really want to do is dig in and fix what's broken underneath that. I wanna help them with the menu, with the wine list, with their approach to service, because all of that, I believe, the actual dining experience has more to do with marketing the restaurant than anything else we do. Now, why do I point all of that out? Because this pandemic is bringing all of us to a crossroads and it matters where you go from here. There's an old saying in business, and it goes like this, right? So often the things that got you here will not get you there. Post-pandemic, this is going to be particularly important. I want to give you permission to rethink your business, to redefine what success means to you, and to develop a plan for moving forward. These past six months were insane. We obviously all share that opinion and things began moving at the speed of light. I'm sure we can recognize that. But I promise the next six, 12, 18 months are gonna get even crazier. Tons of places will close, but they will be replaced by new restaurants that are interesting and efficient. Innovations are gonna come fast and furious because people aren't gonna take the same kinds of chances they did even two years ago. Investors will want to know that they can achieve 10 to maybe 15% profit margins, and restaurant owners are going to have to get bold and creative in how they price their products and how they execute operations. So over these past many months, I've gone on and on about how restaurant owners needed to pivot during the pandemic, and I think that will hold true as we move forward. I've been talking about it with my existing clients and even a few prospective clients and have started helping them work up all new budgets, incorporating some of the ideas that we've been talking about here on the show. And then two weeks ago, I read an article that blew my mind. 
it articulated so many of the things I've been feeling, a lot of the ideas that I've been sketching out and implementing on my own. So I guess this is as good a time as any to open up the dialogue with all of you. Let's get into it. Adam the All is a world-renowned chef. Uh, his Instagram feed is absolutely brilliant. I'm gonna share the link in the show notes so you can go check it out for yourself. Uh, as it turns out, though, he is also a gifted writer. So. Two months back, he wrote an article that ran in Good Food down in Australia, and in it, he describes this vision he has for what the industry might look like in two years. He was specifically talking about fine dining, an area uh, that I certainly love to talk about, but I think his predictions uh, translate really well to the industry at large. In that article, he imagines a meal, again, sometime in the future, let's say September 2022, and he says that fine dining restaurants have all adopted, or, or mostly all adopted, a ticketing process, right? Uh, so those of you who, uh, who might be familiar with uh, the software company Talk, right? It was, uh, it was created by Nick Kakonis. Uh, Nick is also one of the owners of the Alinea Restaurant Group out in Chicago, but he's also the founder of a reservation uh, software company called Talk. And there are thousands of restaurants all over the world that use Talk to book reservations. But the main difference is that on platforms like OpenTable and Resi, patrons go on and simply reserve a table. But on Talk, they buy tickets to dinner. So they prepay for their meal. This helps the restaurant with cash flow and specifically protects against no-shows. He imagines this will be a reality post-pandemic and I tend to agree with him. He also imagines how an app like Talk will continue to evolve over the next couple of years. And he draws attention to, to touch points throughout the customer journey and suggests ways they can be improved. For example, once a patron books the reservation and prepays for the meal, the system automatically sends out a generic email that confirms the order. And what a lost opportunity. You just closed the sale. Why not celebrate and use that email as an opportunity to begin the hospitality? Remember, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And this is one opportunity, right now at least, that's being totally squandered by thousands of restaurants. So instead of just some generic automated confirmation email, what if the restaurant sent you over a welcome video or a preview of the current menu or perhaps a link to a recent review or a write-up, anything to bring the restaurant to life and get the diner excited about their upcoming meal? So in his imagined future, this will be the new normal. Subsequently, right, there is always the obligatory email that goes out a day or two before the reservation with one final reminder about the time, place, and maybe the dress code. Again, he says, another missed opportunity. Instead of a cold business tone, what if the restaurant used this once again as an opportunity to get the diner excited, right? Maybe there's another video about a, a specific dish that just went onto the menu, or maybe it could be used as an opportunity to upsell, right? Maybe just the suggestion of champagne. We're partnering with Chartonia Taille and offering their award-winning Blanc de Blanc by the glass. Would you like two chilled glasses waiting for you when you arrive? Or, or maybe the house Negroni for two, or a, or a caviar course to enjoy while you're looking over the menu. It's both hospitable and it's good salesmanship, but no one does it. And Chef Adam Leaw is wondering why not. And actually, as I read the article, for the life of me, I can't think of a good answer either. 
So then he continues on and says that when patrons arrive at the restaurant, the, the welcome area might look a bit different than they're used to, right? Restaurants during the pandemic were forced to to build out their delivery and takeout business. And, and that's become an important revenue stream in the future. There are delivery orders being passed off to delivery guys right there in the lobby uh, who dash off to make their drop. You then suddenly notice, as you're waiting for the maitre d', uh, that there's a take-home menu there right by the front door. So you pick one up, you fold it over, and you stick it into your pocket. Maybe something to consider for another night. The maitre d' then shows you to the table, and as expected, there's the champagne on ice just next to the table, the champagne that you pre-ordered when you confirmed your reservation. So as you and your guests get seated, a waiter swoops in to pour the champagne. It's great service. But again, also smart business. The restaurant has managed to get another $50 onto the bill before you've even finished pushing in your chair. And of course, there's a good chance you'll finish this glass before you even decide on what to eat. So there's a good chance that they can make an additional beverage sale before a bottle of wine is ordered. So you peruse the menu, you place your order, you select a glass of white to pair with the first course, and then maybe you select a bottle of red to enjoy throughout the rest of your meal. Each course is just as delicious as you hoped it would be, but something interesting keeps happening. Every time you make a comment to the waiter, he turns it into a uh, something of a sales opportunity. You say, this pasta is incredible. He responds, did you know the chef runs a pasta making class on Saturday mornings here in the restaurant? The next one is actually coming up. I'd be happy to book a spot for you. You say, I, you know, I love the sauce on this chicken. He returns, we've actually started selling some of our sauces on the website. We have a gift box of three different sauces available here in the restaurant. I'd be happy to package them up for you if you'd like. Later in the meal, the lamb is so tender. The waiter responds, you know, it is hands down the best lamb we've ever found. The chef is so excited about it. In fact, we've partnered with the farm where we get it from, and we can now deliver it anywhere in the country. Would you like me to have a box sent out? And you think for a minute, and, and you decline, which, which is when the waiter jumps back in and says, you know, it also makes for a really unique gift if you know anyone who might appreciate something like this, maybe somebody with a birthday coming up. And suddenly you remember, yeah, your brother has a birthday coming up. Sold. So they work up the order to have it sent out the following week. Now, it doesn't quite feel like selling, but that's what it is. At every turn, they are upselling you on services, products, and special events. But of course, if it's done with generosity and warmth, it's also good hospitality. If you're serving a product you believe in, one that provides value for your customers, then it's going to be a welcome offer. And it makes better use of your real estate, your resources, and your personnel. If there's anything that the pandemic pointed out, it's that the restaurant industry needed to diversify their revenue streams. And so, he says, in the future, we will need to do just that in order to succeed. So in this fictional future, restaurants will make money in a variety of ways. Dinner reservations, lunch reservations, takeout orders, delivery orders, retail and gift items, partnership programs like with the rancher who provides the lamb, special events. And furthermore, the restaurants will need to streamline their touch points with the guest to be able to maximize revenue. So every touch is an opportunity to improve the guest experience or invite the guest to continue the relationship. And in the article, he talks about the one final touch point that also seems to be missing for most restaurants these days, and that is the final touch. We often think of that last goodbye as our opportunity, but the internet now connects us in a way that was, that was unimaginable 25 years ago. 
So in that article, that, that, that story he dreamt up, he, he grabs his coat, heads outside, hops into a cab to head home, which is when his phone buzzes. It's a, it's a message from the restaurant. We want to thank you again for joining us tonight and let you know that we are here if there's anything else you should need. We've attached a copy of tonight's menu to this email should you want to remember anything you tried tonight. And finally, we wanted to let you know about a winemaker dinner series that we're starting up again next month. If you want to book a spot, we'd love to offer you 20% off your booking if you reserve in the next 24 hours. They are trying to build repeat business while the memory of the great meal is still fresh, which makes me wonder, why don't we do that already? They say in business, it's cheaper to keep a customer than to attract a new one. So why don't we own that? Are we afraid of annoying the guest, coming off as pushy? If we deliver a great experience, one that our guests love, then, then why not use that as leverage? Why not use that to develop stronger relationships with the people who feel the same way we do? The future of restaurants is a big question, and we can't take anything for granted, including the fact that people will just race back as soon as we open back up. Remember, there are a lot of folks who are understandably scared of this virus, Others have lost their jobs or been forced to take pay cuts. They may not be able to dine out with the same sort of frequency as before. Kids are stuck at home learning via Zoom, and so daily routines have been upended. That will affect people's dining habits. And then, of course, remember, we all learned a lot more about ourselves during the quarantine. We cooked more, baked more. We we entertained out on our back patios, on rooftops. I, I think post-pandemic, dinner parties are going to be a much bigger deal than they were before all of this. So as an industry, what can we learn from all of that? What are we going to do with that information? How will we use that to insulate ourselves from, from future downturns? How will we use that to better serve our customers? How will we use that to build bigger, better, more efficient businesses that allow us to solve interesting problems and provide for our own families? The future is closer than we think, and I want to talk about these things because remember, my goal here on this show is to help you build a better restaurant, a more profitable restaurant, one that serves patrons in the ways they wish to be served. So Chef Leal brought up a lot of good things in his article, and I'm simply going to piggyback on those things to talk about what else I see. Here is some more outside-the-box thinking at a time when I think we so desperately need it. So first up is kiosk service, kiosks in fast casual restaurants. Remember back on episode number 52, I interviewed Salim Khatri. He's the CEO of Lavu Inc. They were the original iPad POS system. They have since broadened their offerings and one of the big product launches of uh, the past 18 months for them uh, have been these kiosks, right? In that interview, I'll remind you what Salim said. He said, kiosks are allowing the business owner to cut payroll because if you have customers ordering uh, directly on a kiosk, there's then no reason to pay someone to stand at the register and put in the order. You're going to be able to run with one, two, or three less people per shift. On top of that, he was saying that the data shows an average increase in revenue of about 15% per order. That number on its own is insane. One operational upgrade allows you to cut expenses and drive more revenue. So if you run a fast food place, fast casual, a sub shop, pizza place, burgers, fried chicken, tacos, if you can, there's no reason not to put this into place. 
Next up, iPad table service. I promise you, someone is going to figure out how to do this well. In fact, I am begging to let one of my clients right now help them roll this out because there is a real opportunity to make money. I've said this on the show. If anybody wants to talk about this, reach out, get in touch. Chip at chipclose.com, C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. I have ideas for how to roll this out successfully. But basically, my question is this. Do all restaurants need waiters, right? Well, I guess let's back up a second and think about how a restaurant runs, right? So a customer comes in to eat. They sit down at a table. They choose what they want from a menu. And then that food is prepared and presented. The customer enjoys the food. And then at the end of the meal, the customer then has to pay for whatever they consume. Historically, we had waiters because that was the most efficient way of communicating between the table and the kitchen. But stop and think about where we are with technology in the year 2020. So a waiter comes to take my order and then goes to a computer to send that order to the kitchen. Why, oh why, can't I just order directly from my phone or from an iPad that the restaurant gives me? Picture this. There are 40 tables in the restaurant and we typically have, let's say, 10 waiters per shift, right? So each waiter gets a four-table station. They are responsible for taking care of the guests in their section. The majority of their time is spent greeting tables and then ordering food and drinks, either taking the order or putting the orders into the computer. But if each table had a little iPad, wouldn't that be better Now, before I go into this, I will just say that this will not work for all restaurants, but for a lot of restaurants, it will. And I believe it'll be more efficient than the current system and will provide a better guest experience than the current system. So go with me here. Imagine, if you will, an alternate universe where a family comes into the restaurant, sits down, and the host explains, your waiter tonight is going to be Jennifer and she'll be checking in throughout your meal. But here at Main Street Burgers, you'll do all the ordering yourself right here on this iPad. Just tap on the screen and you'll find a menu for drinks and another for food. She then reaches over and says, here, let me show you how it works and I'll get you started with some drinks. So then goes around the table and puts in everyone's drink order. She then looks to the little five-year-old and says, excuse me, what's your name? The kid responds, Jimmy. The hostess jumps right back in with, so Jimmy, do you want to hit the red button and send the order in? He excitedly reaches over and hits the button. Now the order is sent to the bar and anyone on staff can simply drop off the drinks when they're ready. The host heads back to the front and the family begins looking over their menus. The drinks arrive a few minutes earlier. Maybe Jennifer, the waiter, stops by to answer any questions and shows them if they need anything. Uh, Just tap the green button on the main menu screen. Then someone will be right with them. One by one, the family puts in their order. The system has been optimized to make it very user-friendly. And again, Jimmy leans over, taps the red button to send the order in. The family then chats about their day as they enjoy their drinks. Maybe dad's nearly finished his beer, so he reaches for the iPad and orders in another, knowing that he will be ready for a second in just a minute or two. Another server runs that beer to the table. Someone else delivers the appetizer course. Since Jennifer is not tied up at the table taking the order and not having to waste her time over at the computer system, She can be more present on the floor, touching tables to answer questions or pushing people into second beverage sales. And and best of all, the restaurant can do this with four servers instead of 10. 
Here in New York City, waiters make $10 an hour. So that's $60 an hour you're saving in payroll, $480 a day. Do the math and you'll see that works out to more than $175,000 over the course of the year. Now, again, it may not work for every restaurant out there, but I've got to assume that there are restaurants out there where it might work and they might appreciate that additional chunk of money at the end of the year. Remember, you can then also reinvest some of that money into management, right? Getting getting better candidates or hiring uh, additional support. Maybe you take $60,000 and hire a good junior manager just to provide more presence on the floor. My point is, don't just keep doing things because that's the way they've always been done. Moving on, the third thing I see, CRM software for restaurants, right? So Adam Leal touched on this a bit in his article, but I'm consistently blown away by our industry's unwillingness to apply new technologies to our business, right? Uh, that has to do with uh, with the iPads or the kiosks, right? Uh, but it also has to do with CRM, how, how, we, how we stay in contact with our guests, right? So the rest of the world has gotten very good at knowing who their guests are and what their value is to the company. So for example, I work with a fitness brand and they have sophisticated software that helps them with automation, right? It integrates right in with their POS software. So we've been able then with that company to create a series of touch points with our clients. So new customers will get an email sent to them when they book their first class. And then on the day of their first class, we'll then also build a drip campaign that will be sent out to them in the days following that first class, where the goal is to get them obviously to buy a package or become a member. We then create automations for their fifth class with us, 10th class with us, 100th class with us. And then there are touch points for their one year anniversary, five year, 10 year, all of it meant to build a deeper relationship with each customer. Again, the idea being that it's cheaper to keep a customer than to go get a new one. And since this client already knows our product, it's better because there's a shorthand, right? We don't have to explain uh, what it is we do. They already know, they get it, they've, they've enjoyed the experience. So again, I ask, if the rest of the business world does this, why don't we? I mean, after all, we are in the service industry. It should be our business to serve people and to deliver products and experiences they want to, to provide better service, right? Maybe that's welcome videos when reservations are booked or, or content uh, that shows off new dishes when we confirm their reservation. Remember, the technology is here. We just have to figure out a way to incorporate it into what we're doing. Next up, number four, diversified revenue streams, right? So my favorite part of the article, and again, I've included the link in the show notes. I urge all of you to go read it for yourself. But my favorite part of that article was where he described how uh, all these different uh, diversified revenue streams were helping this restaurant in the future. They were they're being woven into the way the actual dining experience works. So if you have a signature steak sauce, you should be finding a way to bottle that steak sauce and to sell it both in store and online. Private dining, takeout, home meal kits, special events, retail, partnerships. Yes, 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 yes to all of it. The future of restaurants is about leveraging our people, our partnerships, and our real estate to make more money. Max out your space. Squeeze every nickel out of the people who come in, not because it helps you, but because you're ultimately going to help them. It's the generous thing to do. As long as you're providing good value, your guests will thank you for it. 
Number five, uh, I think management will begin to disappear. Restaurants have gotten very top heavy over the past decade. And I think over the next year or two, that's going to change. This is especially true in fine dining, right? Where we have a general manager and an AGM and a service director and a wine director and a mixologist and a maitre d' and a private events coordinator and a bunch of floor managers and some sommeliers, hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary, just dragging the business down. I think moving forward, restaurants will need to get lean and mean, and that is going to fundamentally shift the way business operates. Waiters will be given much more responsibility, and so because of that, they will become better compensated and and vetted. And of course, maybe a lot of them will be replaced by iPads, but so be it. I think every restaurant owner out there needs to reconsider what needs to get done and who can do it. Number six, content is king. I think social media will lose its luster over the next two years, and patrons are going to seek out more meaningful connections with the brands they support. So a quick picture will no longer be enough to satisfy a curious audience. Moving forward, we'll want to know the inspiration of a given dish, the the story behind a given dish. We'll want to see how it was made, um, not just what it looks like when it hits the table, right? Restaurants will need to run themselves like many media companies, putting out high-quality content on a consistent basis. People will be much more judicious about how and where they spend their money, and we're all gonna have to work that much harder to convince them to spend it with us. Number seven, strategic partnerships. I think restaurants will want to start leveraging the relationships they've built with with certain purveyors, uh, uh, partners, um, distributors, vendors, right? A butcher, a farmer, a, a fishmonger, an, an importer, and the sky's the limit as to how those relationships can be exploited, but basically, The restaurants have something people very much want, which is access and knowledge. The question is, what do you do with that? Furthermore, I think communities will create better relationships, right? So the restaurant will want to find creative ways to partner with the florist next door or the movie theater down the street or the art gallery around the corner. There are things you have that other people want, like your food, your story, your people, your space. And then there are things that others have that you may want like guest lists and interesting community events. Every relationship should be a win-win, and it can be if people are committed. Number eight, I want to talk about what is going to bring people out to eat, right? So I think this pandemic has changed everything in our world, right? It's reordered the world, and as we move forward, we need to understand what will bring people out to dine with us. So in September 2022, people may not dine out with the same frequency they did in September 2019. So what exactly will draw people out? Certainly to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and graduations. Okay. But does that mean only the fine dining restaurants survive? How long until the mid-priced restaurants are are back to to where they were, right? Again, remember where we started this conversation. People are scared. People are out of work. People's routines have been upended. So what happens to the post-work watering holes in Midtown Manhattan if 30% of the workforce never return to the office? What about all the lunch spots like Panera and Chipotle and Sweetgreen? Again, if 30% of the workforce continues to work from home as people are predicting, can those places survive? My guess is no, right? Same thing with all those pre-theater restaurants in Times Square. If, If Broadway theaters don't reopen for another year plus, how many of those places will still be alive to serve the hordes of hungry theater goers when they come back to start going to shows? We have to be honest about the answers to these questions and then commit to doing something about it. We must be willing to supply them with reasons. So we might need to get more creative or or what? 
Well, that brings me to my last point today, right? Number nine, go to where the people are. Brooklyn, for example, is a sprawling place, a city in its own right filled with vibrant neighborhoods and a thriving restaurant scene, but it's mainly a bunch of good neighborhood restaurants. So if people are working from home now, who's to say they'll want to trudge all the way into Manhattan for a great meal? This next year might be the thing that brings a bunch of great new restaurants to Brooklyn. And then beyond that, let's think about the suburbs as well. If people aren't already in the city for work, they may just prefer to stay out where they live, right? I think the suburbs are going to get a bunch of great new restaurants. And I mean, top notch, like Michelin starred level restaurants. Why not you? Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list, but these are the things I'm thinking about. Dining is changing and that's a good thing. It needs to change. We were drowning before, barely squeaking by. And now there's an opportunity to really build something profitable. As I said before, it all starts with a budget that works. You need to build something that makes sense where you don't just struggle to survive, but you work hard to thrive. I've still got that budget template. If you're interested, the link is in the show notes as well. So feel free to check it out. You can find it on the website as well, restaurantstrategypodcast.com. I hope this episode has sparked some ideas. I hope it doesn't get you down, but rather um, gets you thinking, gets you excited and optimistic. I want you to be thinking outside the box, right? That's what we need moving forward. It was just too hard the way it was before, and, and it's still too hard the way it is now. Let's all agree to change it, to make things better, to serve the people in our communities and build more profitable restaurants. So your assignment this week is to set aside just 20 to 30 minutes to think about this stuff and to brainstorm a bit, right? What do you foresee for the industry? Uh, what specifically do you foresee in your market? And then how can you shift in the months ahead to stay profitable, to build towards something more profitable? And then at the end of that half hour brainstorming session, I want you to write down three ideas that you might be able to implement, right? Maybe they're, they're some of the ones I talked about today. Maybe they're something, uh, maybe it's something that Adam Leaw talked about in his article. Maybe it's something that you came up with. Maybe it's some, some amalgamation, some combination of all of those. That's fine. Whatever it is, take the idea and run with it. And that is today's episode. I want to thank you again for tuning in. If you have a free minute, I would love a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a good review doesn't hurt either. There are people out there just like you who are looking for guidance and this community can help them. A five-star review just helps them find us. As always, I appreciate you being here. Until next time, have a great week. Stay safe, stay creative, and I will see you next time.